I'd like to welcome everybody to our convention. Is everybody having a good time? Okay, I would like, I am Laverna. Um, I am the Region 2 Convention Chair for this year, 2010. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. And I, I want to let you know that. Oh, okay. I'll hold on. I can hear myself over here. Can you hear me over here? You can. Can you hear me over here? No. Okay. Testing one two. Is that better? Okay, I think that's better. Thank you. My name is Laverna. I'm the 2010 chairperson for this year's Region 2 convention. And thank you. And I just want to say welcome to everyone, all 448 of you who attended this weekend. Uh, I would like to read to you from the Voices of Recovery, and then we're going to have a, some announcements. This is from Voices of Recovery, March the 22nd. Getting out of my own way gives me the freedom to rise to the highest level of which I am capable. Thank you. And I would like to introduce our Region 2 Board President, Pamela, and our Region 2 Trustee, May. They have some announcements for you. all dressed up. It's a dress rehearsal. For what? For now playing. Playing what? Now playing. 50 years of OA recovery. Where? That's in Los Angeles, a.k.a. Hollywood. And when? That's going to be August 26th through August 29th, the World Service Convention. Wow, who's going to be there? About 1,500 winners. Winners? Well, you know, in OA, there are no stars or VIPs, but every one of us is a winner. See you there. And if you want to register, here are the registration forms. And if you need a reminder, there are cards that you can pick up. And I just wanted to <clears throat> point out that June 2nd, I mean, July 2nd is the early bird deadline. And you will save money if you register by July 2nd. You can do it online as well. See you there.
So don't forget to do your early bird registration and save a little money. I would like to introduce my Vice Chair, Mike. Hi, Mike, Compulsible Reader. Hi, everyone. Okay, and I have a reading uh, from For Today, page 280. I see the details and fret over them. My higher power sees the big picture. This is my higher power's plan for me, to be free of fear, to march after every single dream, to recognize where my passion is, to let my passion loose, to be strong of mind, body, and spirit, to grasp for all those things that could be mine, to love unreservably, to keep the world priorities in front of me, to experience joy without limits. When I am able to accept that this is my higher power's plan for me, I see the need to stay, to stay out of the picture. My plan wasn't nearly as good. Thank you. Both. I have a couple of quick announcements. Hi, everyone. I'm Jessica, compulsive overeater, and your volunteer coordinator for the convention. I want to thank most of you have done some type of service sometime during the convention, so thank you to everyone. There are still opportunities in the next couple of days, and so one of which is helping validate everyone's parking, which is a very important job. And so if we have positions from 10, 9 to 10, 10 to 12, and 12 to 1 tomorrow morning, and then there are also some other things. So please stop by. Um, you can see me at any time, or you can stop by the volunteer booth tomorrow and sign up. Thank you very much for everyone's service. Hi, I'm Leanne, a compulsive overeater and your signs and decorations person for this convention. And um, I did go around to the tables, but I wanted to clarify to people exactly what's going on with those little envelopes on your table. The confetti on your table is orange and blue hearts, the color of our convention, are um, impregnated with wildflower seeds. And you're supposed to take a couple home. Sorry to use that word. I know it's kind of raunchy. But um, you're supposed to take a couple home, and all you need to do is put them in any kind of soil, water them, and they'll grow into wildflower seeds, wildflowers, and you can remember what you got to this convention. So just to solve your confusion. Okay, now um, save your uh, dinner coupons because they'll let you into the dance and the karaoke for free. If you have you have somebody here that hasn't bought a dance ticket, they'll be on sale um, in the silent auction room. So that's if you know somebody that still wants to go to the dance or karaoke, they can still purchase the ticket. It's ten dollars. Okay. Um, uh, in the, the sign auction is still open till 10 o'clock. We still have several items that have really low bids on. If you're looking for a portable DVD player, we have two of those. We have a Blu-ray disc player. We have some giant memorabilia. 
we have uh, two manicure and pedicure sets. And there's uh, on the retreats, the, the men's retreat and the Tahoe retreats uh, still have uh, low bids. And there's a hotel stay in San Francisco, two nights stay at the Donatello Hotel. And that has a low bid too. Um, okay, and uh, uh, the 50 50 drawing. Okay, the, the amount we have collected so far is $342. So, um, and they're selling um, the 50 50 drawing tickets and they're selling the quilt tickets right now. And our two people are right there. So they're going to be going around the room selling tickets. If you, you know, we're going to have the drawings on uh, tomorrow on the closing. Okay. Okay. Thank you to Mike for those announcements. Okay, tonight we, I have a couple of announcements, too. We're also going to be selling our T-shirts. We've reduced the price to $10. That was like our cost, and they're going to be on sale starting right now. Okay. Yeah. They're going to be in the um, silent auction room. Uh, and the karaoke is going to be tonight at 9 o'clock in Synergy 5. Am I missing any? Oh, don't forget your tapes. Uh, we, we're have, having some really good speakers this weekend. You want to order your tapes or your CDs, and they have left some uh, forms out on the table. They also taped all the marathon sessions where you can get all the marathon sessions for $49. And if you want all of the sessions for the convention, it's the white paper, the white form. They're going to be closing up shortly. These will be on the table along with their business cards. And they're going to be back in the morning from 8 until 1 to order your CDs or tapes or discs. And, okay, I think now we're going to announce our speaker for the evening. Okay. Our speaker is Judy H. from Palm Springs. Judy? My name is Judy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. I just realized I forgot my little Kleenex, and I'm having a bit of an allergy attack. So if I snort, I'll find something. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. There you go. Oh, oh, wow. I got, I got, I think enough. Thank you. You see, you ask for what you want, and you get it. But I didn't even have to ask. That's very interesting. Actually, one of the things in my recovery, uh, my sponsor was a black belt Al-Anon. And um, she, the reason I was attracted to her, I think I'll start with that. I was attracted to her because she shared at a meeting that her husband had his own business. And that he would come home every day saying, oh, my God, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And nothing's working out. And, oh, my God, and we have no money. 
And so she would immediately pick up all of his anxiety, and then he'd say, let's go out to dinner. And uh, she would not even look at the menu, and she would say, I'll have the hamburger steak, please, which meant, you know, a little hamburger patty, because that was the inexpensive thing to get on the menu. And he'd say, I'll have the surf and turf, you know, the most expensive thing on the menu. And she realized that, uh, you know, she always picked up on other people's needs and adapted and never required that they ask. And that attracted me because that was me too. Because my job was to be hyper-vigilant and figure out what you needed and provide it. Um, and as a consequence of doing that, I never learned who I was or what my particular needs were. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, Hannah, are you going to do that the whole time? I love it. <laughs> well, enough about me. How do you feel about me? <laughs> you know, I just got that little, that's mine actually. I got that little video recorder and I asked her if she would, uh, you know, so we'll see. Anyway, uh, here I am. Now, I announce myself as a compulsive overeater, but in my home meetings, I usually say I am recovering from a lifetime of compulsive overeating. And it's just a little different shade on things that I've developed over the last few years that kind of um, more serve my needs and, and where I am in my recovery. So, um, you know, we'll see. Um, I was very kind of nervous about speaking here tonight. I called my sponsor earlier in the week, and she said, what, you're the dinner speaker? And I said, yeah. She said, don't worry. They'll be so full of food, they won't care what you have to say. <laughs> so I said, well, that's a good perspective. That's true, isn't it? I mean, uh, who will even know what I have to say? It's not a big deal. Uh, and then I was, I was thinking as I was getting ready here that um, years ago I spoke at... Uh, Bill B's Going Sane meeting, if any of you who remember the good old days, uh, this guy named Bill B who wrote books and was a pretty big guru in OA, he had a special meeting called Going Sane. You know, now there seem to be a lot of these folks who have their own meeting with its own name and this little fringe of OA. It's, believe me, it'll pass. Okay? Uh, we just have to kind of smile and nod and say, yeah, I've been there, done that. Uh, you're not the first. Uh, and, it, you know, I'm sure that the, the dust will settle. But uh, anyway, so that was one of the kind of fringe groups in, in my early days in program. And, oh, it was terrible because he was saying things like, you could recover from compulsive overeating. And then people were real angry that he was saying that because you can never recover because you're always sick, sick, sick. And he was saying, yes, but I'm going sane, and I'm well, 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 and oh, my God. And it went on because a big uh, schism happened in OA because there was a guy named Fred who had this group that was just going to be focused on abstinence and the physical part, and then Bill was focused on this uh, serenity part, and they were all fighting each other, those fat serenity groups versus the Nazi gray sheet groups. And, uh, and I remember when that was going on, I said to my sponsor, God, that didn't happen when I was new. She said, yes, it did. It was always going on. She said, when you first started, it was the fight over gray sheet and orange sheet or moderate mealers. 
And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I think I have an amazing ability to forget the negative stuff. And I'm so happy about that. So if you're new, you may come in here and you may be focused on the negative stuff, you know. And, you know, that's why they say take what you can use and leave the rest. Because uh, there's always going to be negative stuff. And it's up to me if I'm going to save my own ass, basically, you know. And uh, I have stayed here despite any of those kinds of feelings or things that I understand or I notice. It's not necessary. It doesn't, it doesn't further my recovery. And my life has been about whatever furthers my recovery. You know, I said I'm a compulsive overeater. That is my priority, but it's not my identity. Very important distinction. It's my priority. It's something I think about every single day, and I fashion my life around it. I fashion how I eat around it, and I also fashion how I live around it. But it is not totally who I am. It's just a part of my life that I have to take care of business about. And I'm grateful to have this illness that makes me have to set priorities and to have a certain amount of discipline in my life. And surrender. <laughs> I never surrendered, honey. Uh, when I came here, my tombstone was going to read, Nobody Got the Best of Her. Okay? And I fought everything and everyone. Uh, you know, we, we, that reading mentioned fear, and uh, they told me, early, and I never thought I was afraid, because I was such a battler person, and it was only actually uh, a number of years ago when I got involved with Buddhism that I started to have to face my fears, because uh, I was in a monastery screaming at a monk trying to get out of there, and, uh, <laughs> hello, <laughs> I mean, what was I trapped in? Just my own mind. Hello. And he said, uh, there's nothing wrong with being afraid. I said, I'm not afraid. You know, what is he saying I'm afraid? But I certainly was afraid. Um, so they tell us in this program that fear stands for face everything and recover or foo everything and run. And if you're focusing on the negative, you're ready to foo. Okay? Uh, anyway. Uh, so anyway, oh, I was telling you that I went to speak at Bill B's Going Sane meeting, and it was in L.A., you know. It was a big deal. And I was very scared about speaking. And uh, would any newcomer be attracted to the program? And did I have anything worthwhile to say? And that sort of thing. And... Uh, at the end of the thing, this gal came over to me and she said, oh, I'm brand new, but I just loved what you had to say. I said, oh, thank you so much. And she said, yeah, and anyone who can wear those five-inch heels is my kind of person. <laughs> so it wasn't so much about what I had to say, but about my five-inch heels. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Actually, I was just thinking when I saw this dance floor that Henry, my sweetheart, should be here because... Uh, we are learning tango dancing, and uh, we could do you a little tango demonstration. Uh, we're actually getting quite good after many battles. <laughs> it's a very interesting dance and requires many of the same things as OA, uh, which is uh, focus, rapt attention, and the ability to let go. So, zero in on attention 
and surrender. Very, very interesting. So, um, I came to OA. My first meeting was November 22, 1974. And uh, you might recall that November 22nd was the day that John F. Kennedy was shot, which was a very big day in the life of my generation. Um, I was walking uh, back to the dorm on my college campus, and people were clustered in little groups talking. And it was a colonial-looking uh, campus. University of Maryland was my undergrad school. And uh, so it looked like the Continental Congress was meeting. You know, there were all these little groups of people talking. and. Um, so that was a very uh, devastating event. And uh, it just so happened that that was my first meeting. It also happened that that meeting was the Monday morning before Thanksgiving, the high holy day of the year. And that happened to be when I started OA. And I remember for years after that, and I've, I've worked in the treatment field and I've helped a lot of people get into recovery, and people who start during the holidays really do well. Because I guess they're as desperate as I was. I mean, I knew it didn't make any difference whether I ate it or didn't eat it. I was so beat up by this illness that uh, it just didn't matter anymore. And uh, it was very motivating. And I realized for years after that that we have to start in the midst of the Holocaust or we'll never get started at all. There's never a good time. If you add them up with all the holidays and weekends and vacations, there's about 268 days of the year that it's not a good idea to get started. <laughs> so, uh, I had actually heard about OA the Friday before that. And I was uh, giving, I was a trained therapist, and I was giving a lecture at a local YWCA. I was an expert in alcoholism. I uh, weighed over 200 pounds at that time. I'm not sure exactly how much. Uh, when I hit 200, I said the dryer was shrinking my clothes and that the scale was broken. The things we all say. I mean, you know, we all get here by the same route, basically. Uh, the same kind of denial and the same kinds of behaviors. It's, it's recovery that's more interesting to me. And, and I, I really want to emphasize how varied and unique I, I have seen recovery to be for myself and other people. And I guess I want to say that because I'm just concerned about so many people dogmatically insisting that recovery is this way. Because it isn't. And not only that, for each individual like myself, it changes over time. The person I am today is not the person I was November 22nd, 1974. My body isn't the same. My psyche isn't the same. I'm a totally different person. And the kind of recovery model that worked for me then was great then, but some of it doesn't work now. So maybe we can get into chatting about some things like that. But I think it's really important to stay very flexible. Uh, my recovery has been flexible. My sponsor has been wonderful. Many sponsors, by the way, have uh, most of the time been quite flexible with me. Uh, for example, just one of them, just from the get-go, you know, I started on what they called gray sheet at the time, and now I think it's similar to the HOW program, although I think 
the HOW program lets you have a little more carbs in a few weeks or something like that. I'm not sure. Uh, but I was always a person who could not eat breakfast, and actually if I did eat breakfast, I got sick. And I lived my life with skinny nutritionists with long fingers insisting that I must eat breakfast. And uh, I said, my sponsor, it doesn't really work for me, but at night when I get home from work, I'm really hungry. So we worked out that I would not have breakfast, but at 10.30 at night, I would have my yogurt and fruit. And that worked fine for me. I'm not recommending it for anybody, and I'm not trying to start a big debate about these things. No way. I don't care what you eat. I'm just saying that, whoa, what a unique idea that she, that she emphasized and that I now emphasize. The important thing is that we stay honest with another fellow sufferer, not another person, not our husband, not our sister, but another fellow sufferer. We stay honest about our behavior around food. And that's hell. <laughs> that's what I don't want to do. I would rather tell you about my sex life or anything you want to hear, but I don't want to tell you what's happening in my plate. However, that is because it's a very vulnerable thing, isn't it? And it's, uh, it shows sometimes my worst side. It shows my animal self. It shows my wild woman. It shows a lot of things that are poisonal, thank you. So anyway, um, so I was giving this lecture, and uh, it, we did this exercise about things you like about yourself, and this woman got up and uh, said that she had just lost 30 pounds at Overeaters Anonymous. This was not an 08 event. And here I was, an expert in alcoholism. I'd also already been involved in treating Betty Ford. I was a big hotshot in my field. And I'd never heard of Overeaters Anonymous. We were sending people to Alcoholics Anonymous. We were in the birthplace of OA in Los Angeles. I worked with a psychiatrist and I kept crying to about my fat and my eating. And he said, there's no help for people like you. You've always been that way. You're always going to be that way. And I cried some more. And then this lady says, Overeaters Anonymous. I was riveted to her. I don't remember what else happened the rest of that time. But I just knew that when this lecture was over, I was going to go ask her about OA. I would not ask her during the thing because maybe someone would know I was fat. Well, well, maybe my moo shifted and they caught a roll here or there, but I was an existential therapist after all, and I wanted them to realize it was my existential decision to be fat. <laughs> and as soon as I would decide not to be fat, I would take care of it, thank you very much. Can you believe that? Can you believe that still how therapists talk to us? So, so why do you think you eat like that? Why? Why? I became a therapist to figure out why I ate like that. And I stood in front of the refrigerator binging, explaining to you why I was eating like this. What good did it do to know why? What good does it know to understand this thing? I'm sorry if that's what you're after. We do get a little of that in OA, but that's not the OA program. 
That's not what this program is about. It's interesting material for my memoir, and it helps me sometimes relate with another fellow sufferer, but the recovery is a blessing. And for me, it has involved putting myself in situations and surrounding myself with fellow seekers. We are all here like little gerbils huddled together trying to get some refuge from this thing. But it is bigger than what our little pea brains believe. And it is bigger than all the scientific understanding we have about it. Next week it'll be ghrelin, and the week after that it'll be leptin, and the week after that it'll be assurances of how we can cap the oil problem. Science is limited. It's interesting, but it's limited. And so avail yourselves of everything. There's a lot of great books out there. I've read them all. But it doesn't substitute for keeping myself in this fifth spiritual condition and keeping myself open and available for the miracle to happen through me. So anyway, back to... <laughs> I sneaked up to her after the meeting, and, uh, you know, after this thing, and I asked her about it. And I went to my first meeting on November 22, 1974, as I said, and uh, the speaker there was this very well-dressed woman with a hat, and she got up and she spoke to the podium like this, and she hated her husband, and she hated her husband's secretary, and she was full of anger, and when she spoke, it was... <laughs> electric shot off her head and it hit right back to me in the back of the room and before she talked there had been all these Sarah syrups got up and they talked about how grateful they were and how much they loved OA and how easy it had been for them to lose weight and I was sitting back there saying sit down bitch but and skinny bitch but when this woman got up and she screamed with that kind of anger I'd been raised with, with the veins sticking out on your neck, I said, now there's my kind of people. <laughs> and so I immediately asked her to be my sponsor. <laughs> and... You know, and I, in those days in OA, you'd go to some meetings where they'd say, only positive pitches, only positive pitches. And I thought, if my first meeting had been only positive pitches, I may never have gotten this program. But because of that lady and her rage, there was a connection for me. And uh, when I first registered here the other evening, a gal told me, uh, that she had been at a retreat I led about 20 years ago. See, you got to tell the truth in OA. Because, <laughs> you know, people remember what you said 20 years ago, you know. And, and thank God, I have nothing to hide, you know. Tell me what I said. I don't know. But anyway, she said that, uh, that I had them do this exercise to write a, a dialogue between them and their higher power. And I used to have people write a want ad for your higher power and those kind of things. And she said, and then I, I told them to write about faith, but I said, before you can write about faith, you have to write about doubt. And I thanked her so much for reminding me of that, because throughout my recovery, I have not been urged to be positive. 
I have been first given a platform to express my negativity and my rage and my sadness and been encouraged to own that first and to let it be heard. And once truly heard and seen, it could leave me. Okay? At least that's how it's been for me. So when I get people to work with who are too positive, I say, knock it off. You know? When are we going to get to the dark side? You know, that disowned self that we all came in here as such little pleasing, little wonderful roly-poly gals. You know? It doesn't cut it in OA. It's not worthwhile. I don't think. But anyway, so um, I asked her to be my sponsor, and four days later she left town mysteriously. She left her husband and the baby and was never heard from again. And I'm still here. So, and I'm here 35 years later. <laughs> Do you believe it? I don't believe it. I mean, I came here, uh, I came for the vanity, stayed for the sanity, you've heard that phrase. But, uh, you know, I thought I was going to lose my weight in six months and be a prom queen and leave. I never had any intention of being here with you on this Saturday night, <laughs> 35 years later. But I'm grateful and privileged and ecstatic that that's where my life has gone and who I am. You've given me a wonderful, glorious kind of a life. Um, let's see if I could talk more about what I used to be like. Um, like I said, I was very angry. I was very wild. Um, even though I worked as a social worker and then as a therapist, uh, I worked in New York for the Phoenix House program, which was a drug addiction program. and. Uh, I helped build the first three Phoenix houses, and uh, I dated the patients. <laughs> I mean, believe me, I had this whole sleaze side, I'm telling you. Uh, I ran with this pimp guy who hung out at uh, 46th and 8th Avenue in New York, if you know the area. It's been cleaned up now, but uh, I had... Uh, long blonde hair and I wore a little white mini skirt and the high white boots and uh, I even had a mafia guy I used to hang out with and I'd be like his gun mall when he went around to what, what was it, a bag man you know to make the collections and I would sit out in the big Cadillac and oh my god oh my god I mean the thing is that's a fine life for anybody it's fine but it wasn't true for me. It wasn't congruent with who I really was. I mean, I was a nice Jewish girl from Scranton, Pennsylvania, um, very intelligent, and I was living out this whole other part. And um, I remember years later, you know, after being in OA a long time, and then my second and third year of OA, I needed to get into intensive therapy, which I stayed in for the next 20 years. And the first time my therapist met me, he said, uh, you're going to be a long-term case. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know what he saw, but it's true. Um, today I don't have a need for therapy as far as I know. <laughs> we'll see. I'm not, you know, not opposed to it. It's just that uh, I'm content and I'm living 
the life that I was intended to live. I've, I've grown into myself. And uh, so there's not a conflict. And parenthetically, the choices I make around food are congruent with what my body needs. Now we're talking about a body that's a little zostic, uh menopausal woman. Uh, for the tape, I'm still gorgeous, though. But, uh, you know, I've... Uh, you know, I've thought I should be 10, 15 pounds thinner. Uh, I go to the gym. I work out. I'm very healthy. Yesterday, I biked the bridge in uh, San Francisco. You can rent a bike. And I rode up the hill and across the Golden Gate Bridge and back down to Sausalito and took the ferry back. Yes! Yeah! But the miraculous thing is that when Henry suggested it, I said, yes. And that is what I wanted to do for the day in San Francisco. And before recovery, what did I want to do in San Francisco? Eat. You know, I would have been thinking on the way up about the sourdough bread and the seafood. You know? And that was totally off my screen. It was parenthetical to my day. It was, yeah, fine, whatever. What was more important was to have that experience. So, uh, a lot of things are like that today. I, I have been changed by your good graces, not necessarily by my pushing for them. And, and that's another thing that I, I thought I should really mention, is that I, I think intentions count. You know how they say, uh, half measures avail us nothing? I don't think so. I think every measure, every step to the good. Throughout these last 35 years, I have had moments where I stopped in the middle of a bag of trail mix and made that call and had someone help me drown it in the garbage disposal. And I consider those some of the most important moments of my recovery. I don't put them down and judge them and say, you had a lapse in this or you missed that many days. I don't count days. I don't believe that's really worthwhile. You know, we, uh, we are the grandchild of AA. You know, uh, our program was started when Roseanne met a guy from Gamblers Anonymous, which was a child program from AA. And I remember being at, now it's OA's 50th birthday, and I remember being at OA's 21st birthday, and I said, we are now 21 years old, it's time to grow up. It's time for us to not keep copying our parents' AA, but find what our, like, like normal people do. Children learn from their parents' experience, and then they grow up and they make choices about some of my parents' experience is worthwhile for me, and some isn't. Instead of all this dogged, blind, anything AA says is what I have to go live with. Anyway, don't get me started. <laughs> but, you know, for one thing, we don't plug the jug and go to meetings. We don't get to get rid of our substance. No. We have to live with it at least three or four or five times a day. And we have to make conscious choices toward it. At least I do. For me, planning, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. 
Every day I have some kind of a plan based on my, my physical exercise, what I'm going to be doing with people in the world, what I want to accomplish, how uh, uh, alert I have to be. I, I write. If I want to be writing, do I want to be in my muse, or do I want to be lard-laden, sugar-coated, etc. Not that I make that choice anyway, but you know what I mean. So, like that. So, a lot happened uh, after I got involved uh, in the OA program. I, I did not tell my husband I was going. Uh, he was a practicing alcoholic who used to beat me periodically. Uh, when I married him, he was only an alcoholic, whereas my other guys were drug addicts. So uh, he was like the cream of the crap. I felt it. <laughs> you know, I, I had stepped up to marry him. And he was, he was a lovely man, actually. He really was. He was a real sweetheart, and he died of alcoholism. Uh, it's a very sad story. Um, but... Um, I remember one of my strongest criticisms with my sponsor when I first got here is, I like everything about the program except the spiritual part. I don't like that spiritual part. She said, there is no spiritual part. She said, it's totally 100% hook, line, and sinker, a spiritual program. There's no part. So I, I let that pass. <laughs> Because, you know, I didn't want anything to drive me away, you know. It's like, file, we'll deal with that later, you know. And um, now I do know how much it, it is a spiritual program. Uh, but about my fourth day of abstinence, uh, which was Thanksgiving morning, 1974, I called up this lady, and she hadn't left town yet, and uh I was crying and shaking, and I said, I'm not going to make it. I, I baked this thing for my Aunt Myra's buffet deal, and I just can't do it. I'm crying and shaking. She said, well, go into a little room and write. And by then, Howard had, this is my first husband, he uh, had just come home from a drunk, and I always got good carpentry work out of him after his drinking episode. So he was busy making me a bookshelf. And... Uh, I went to him with my notebook. I said, Howard, I'm going to write. And he said, go ahead. So I went into this room and I started writing and I don't know exactly what it was, but it was kind of like this picture came to me of myself when I was five years old. Uh, I was an army brat and I lived in Frankfurt, Germany at the time and this was 1950. Now you know how old I am. Okay, do the math. We'll stop for a minute. Okay. And uh, actually, June 25th of this year will be my 65th birthday. And uh, I'm very excited because I just got my Medicare card. <laughs> Thank God. That's the best extra $700 a month. I've been paying in health insurance. So now you're paying. Sorry. <laughs> but I deserve it for us. Finally. Anyway. So, uh, so what happened? Uh, so I saw this vision of myself at five years old walking down this street in Frankfurt, and there were still bombed out buildings all over. It had not really been rehabilitated by then. And uh, 
And I just remember seeing this cracked sidewalk and uh, throwing these little chestnuts we used to throw. And uh, I got a message that said, just keep focused on the sidewalk. Just keep walking the path. And everything is taken care of. You know, you're five years old. You don't have to worry about what you're cooking for dinner. You don't have to worry about homework. You don't have to worry about anything. But this five-year-old self was relatively free from angst. And I got a sense that that might be what that higher power stuff was about, that they were talking about. That just that sense of, you know, like the grandma says to a little baby, you know, and it calmed me down. I stopped crying. I called the lady back. Uh, we made a plan for how I was going to handle Thanksgiving at Myra's house, and I did okay. I did great, and I proceeded. And like I say, she left town, uh, and that got me started. So that was my what I considered my first spiritual awakening in this program. The second one was about a year later, and I had I lost 60 pounds my first year, and I was looking really good and feeling good and still dating patients, because uh, by that time, I think Howard and I had broken up or separated or something. Oh, yeah. Actually, let me back up. Uh, I was in the program, I guess, uh, seven months, June, my birthday. I started in November, so seven, eight months, whatever. And Howard was going to throw me a birthday party uh, at the pool, a pool birthday party. It was my 30th birthday, I remember, because uh, when I got to OA, I said, Dear God, whatever it takes, the next 30 have to be different. I cannot do this for one more day, whatever it takes. And right now, many times you'll see that I write in my appointment, appointment book, NMW no matter what. And usually it's a WNMW, which means write, no matter what. Because I have to force myself to write. I love my writing, and it's, it's where I live and breathe, but I hate it. And, uh, you know, because it calls out your, uh, your spirit. And it's difficult. <laughs> there was one writer in Screenwood, uh, in, a Hollywood writer, a screenwriter, they asked him, well, what do you do? How do you write? He says, well, you sit down in front of a blank white page and wait till blood leaves your forehead. <laughs> and then you're writing. So it's very difficult. Anyway, so uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, about the birthday. So, since it was a pool party, I said, well, let me go get a bathing suit. And I was living my life, <laughs> you know, just driving, racing on the freeways, running like crazy. I had four consulting positions. I was a very important person, don't you know. And uh, so I breezed into Macy's, and they were having a sale on bathing suits. And I saw this blue one, and it was a size 14, and it cost $14. I said, yes. I didn't try it on. I ran home. So I went to try it on, and I had baby oil on me from sunbathing. So the baby oil got all on this suit. So I said, hmm, I'm taking it back. 
and I'm going to tell them that the lighting over at that table was so dark I couldn't really see, but it had terrible spots, these grease spots on this thing. And I started working up my story of what I was going to tell her, and she said, and I said, and they said, and we said, and I'm driving to Macy's with my story, and I realized that my body, my body was tight, my blood pressure was up, I could hardly breathe, and I was having this experience, and no one else was in the car. And that was my second spiritual awakening. I said, you're doing this to yourself. And you're working up this whole deal. So I turned around and I went home. And I said, my recovery is worth $14. Eat it. Who cares? Eat the suit. You know? By the way, in that reading that was just read here tonight also, we were talking about passion. And I like the phrase... I eat my passion. Passion at is ate my passion. Or maybe we can say I pass on eat. So there's interesting things about that. Actually, Hana just asked me to speak at the world thing in August about sex. So if you come to that, we can talk further about sex. Anyway, um, so there you go. So my first year was a lot about just getting honest. Getting honest in the plate, saying, yes, that was a full four ounces, or I really put another spoonful on top, or I did take a little <coughs> All those little things, I had to get rigorously honest with this other person and say, yeah, I did that. And some of you I know are out there saying, what do they care? I don't need to tell them about that. It's just an extra tablespoon after all. It's not about that. It's about integrity and honesty. Because those are the issues that become the most important down the pike. Is when you can face yourself and stop being self-punishing. Because I've worked with addicts for over 40 years and I'll tell you, the deal that we don't deal with enough is the self-destructive issue. And that's why people just transfer to one, to the next, to the next, to the next. You know, Freud said we all have an ambivalent commitment to both life and death. And we need to explore that longing to leave. And if we don't, just like I told the lady, explore your doubt before you deal with faith, if we don't explore that, we're not able to fly and be joyous with how happy we really are to be here. I am so happy to be here. And like I said, everybody has an individual program. And, you know, our whole program is suggested, suggested, except for one line in the big book. There's only one line that isn't suggested. And that is, we absolutely insist on enjoying life. And I'm the poster child for that, honey. <laughs> I am. I am having a glorious life uh, with very little downtime, very little sadness today in my life. Of course, I've eliminated a lot of people from my life. <laughs> but I don't have time. I just don't have time for the negative. I'm, I'm busy. I'm booked. You know, George Burns is one of my favorite people, and he... Uh, he had reserved Caesar's Palace for his 100th birthday because he said, I can't die, I'm booked. And uh, 
as it turned out, I knew this high roller guy who got me a ticket to the show for his 100th birthday, and as it turns out, he died just a little bit before his 100th birthday. But uh, he used to always say whenever he had an audition or, or any opportunity to work, uh, he would always write a little note and say, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I kind of try to carry that consciousness with me today. Whatever I'm asked to do or wherever I am, I go, wow, what an opportunity. What opportunities I've been given in my life. Because of sitting in these damn meetings, right? And making those phone calls and writing that crap they want me to write. I, I knew she had me writing so much just because she wanted to shut me up. Yeah. My first year, my inventory was about, I'd be calling my sponsor, and, and it was all about you guys, what you said at the meeting and what they said, and he's a phony, and he's this, and they're controlling, and yeah, he's too angry, you know. And she'd say, well, why don't you write about it? And then, dear, <laughs> there was always a dear on the end, and uh I'd write about it, and she'd come over and read it to me, and I'd read it to her, and it'd be a word like, he's judgmental. She said, circle that word, okay? And uh, she's a phony, circle that word. Uh, then we'd go through my circles, and she'd say, well, do you ever do that? I said, this isn't about me. This is about them. She said, well, dear. Our literature says that we discuss the exact nature of our wrongs. So if you do it only once a day and you're subtle about it, and they do it 20 times a day and they're boorish about it, we can only deal with you doing it your once a day. So after a year, she said I was done with my inventory. Because <laughs> that, of course, generated more things I had to write about about my behavior. And that's what it's always about here. Let it begin with me. If you email me, I'll email you back at the bottom of my email. It says, let it begin with me. Um, so uh, then what happened, uh, like I say, I was driven to Al-Anon. My husband lost his job. Uh, things got worse. The beatings got worse. Uh, I appeared on television. The first time I was on television, my husband beat me up the night before. We had to use special makeup to cover all the bruises. I was always living this double life, as I was telling you. You know, I'd be a professional. You know, did you ever see that movie, Looking for Mr. Goodbar? <gasps> drove me to bed for a week. That was so my story. Have one image in the daytime and live out this whole other side at night. And uh, now I don't. That's all I can say. It's, it's one package. There's no secret life. Uh, and I don't long for it either. And I don't miss it. Um, but anyway, so I lost a lot of weight and... Uh, my sponsor said, but you know, you are still sick. You're still on a dry drunk. You're still cruising for a bruising. You have to give up all this work. You're a workaholic and you're running like crazy. Uh, you have to give up something. And I, what? What can I give up? I'm, number one, I'm so important to everyone. And uh, 
plus ego, ego, ego. I mean, anyone in my field would die for the work that I have. You know, I'm so important and respected and blah, blah, blah. She said, I don't know. You just got to give up something. So I gave up a a 20-hour-a-week job at the Navy hospital. The very next day, I'm walking down the hall of another hospital where I'm working, and the uh, administrator said, God, you've really lost a lot of weight, haven't you? I said, yeah, well, you know what they're doing for the alcoholics on the fourth floor? We could do the same thing for overeaters. Yes, as a result of that, I was involved in starting the first eating disorder unit in the country. And it just happened. It wasn't I was going for it, but it launched a lot of great things. Um, I got to write books that turned out to to do very well. One was a bestseller. I was on television a lot. I was on Oprah. Yeah, yeah. Big, big stuff. And it was great. And I did it for about 15 to 20 years. It was a very great ride. And I was very helpful to a lot of people. And I brought a lot of people to OA. And it was wonderful. But it started to fizzle out for me. And I don't know what it was. Well, I do know some of what it was. Actually, I know a lot of what it was. But one big thing was the medical model. I had been very instrumental in promoting that, the disease concept, the medical model, how much we need help, that whole deal. And it just seemed that people took it too far, and they'd forgotten the spiritual part. And even people in OA, it seemed, had gotten so lockstepped around the disease, and not, in my book anyway, vibrating with the whoa, you know, the the airy-fairy stuff, the the stuff that had brought me here, the stuff I stayed here for. Like I said, I came for the vanity, stayed for the sanity. And I just no longer liked what was happening in the treatment field. Plus, damaged care came to California. and, And that changed things. I had had a wonderful opportunity to be involved in in pioneering wonderful things and the things we could do with families and stuff was no longer an option. So I started fading out, plus uh, plus the media wasn't as interested in hearing from me anymore, and that seemed okay. I, I would launch a few requests and get no, mostly no, mostly no, mostly no, mostly no, mostly no, and then bing, a yes would pop up. And then i say, okay, I am supposed to do this work. And so I would do it. And then, no, 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 no. Yes. It was very weird. I, I learned this line. Pauline Kael, uh, a movie critic, said, Hollywood's the only place you can die of encouragement. <laughs> and it was really true in my case that I, I wanted out, but it seemed like I couldn't, I never could get that straight. Am I supposed to? Blah, blah, blah. And so I moved moved back to New York, whatever it was, I guess 15 years ago, maybe. Yeah. I said, I'm going to launch my radio career. I love doing radio because it's so intimate, and I had my own show, and I was very excited. And I said, I had three agendas. I'm going to skyrocket my career. I'm going to meet a nice Jewish boy. And I'm going to establish a beachhead for retirement in New York or something. 
Anyway, my career went. I met the boy. Uh, we're still happily together after all these years. And what was wonderful is I got to have a personal life with an equal partner, both intellectually, financially, and in terms of the power of the personality that we bring to the table. And I've never had that in my life. And it's been just glorious. I'm very happy to have my personal life. And uh, we travel, and uh, we have a lot of fun. Uh, we did volunteering in Burma. Hannah and I have talked a lot about these third world countries we go to. And I also found that my sensitivity level is increasing, that I used to be tougher so I could handle a lot of people's pain. They could give it to me. I'm not that strong anymore, I, uh, or not that defended, I guess. And I, I really found it in, in Burma that I just couldn't take it. I, uh, I'm not the one. And it's very good that there are people who are available. Um, I still work with people, but on a much more limited basis. And they have to be going toward recovery. I, I can't hear much about ain't it awful anymore. Um, whatever that means. I know what it means. <laughs> anyway, I just got a notice that my time is up. so. Uh, they told me I had 45 minutes. I only got 30. Well, I'll see about wrapping it up. Uh, should be some big finish, right? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you as a big finish. Um, let's see. If I could just emphasize to you how, how neat my life is. Um, I'm right-sized. I did like all that other stuff, and it was enough. Um, you know, it's great that I got to stay in all these fancy hotels on other people's dimes, and, you know, all that kind of stuff, because I don't care about that stuff very much. You know, like the fee to park in this hotel, the day parking is $25. Well, I'm staying at a motel up the road for $38 a night, and I get free parking. <laughs> So it's like, and, and I'm much more into that because, because of having lived for a while in these third world countries and just seeing what's really going on in the world, I can't spend that on parking, even though it, it is our society. But you know what I mean, right? I think you know what I mean. So anyway, uh, earlier this year, I got involved also in decluttering. I just, you know, I'm a shopper and so many little tchotchkes. So I started about a month ago, and I might put out a blog about this, I'm not sure, but giving away two things a day and writing about them. So they get memorialized, whatever these things are, but I put them right in a bag and I take them right to the thrift shop. And I've now given away 80 things. I've been doing it for 40 days. And I took a little break, but I'm going back to it. But I got to feel like something very interesting is nearly all the things that I was having trouble parting with were things that I bought in thrift shops. <laughs> but wait, this is very important, this insight I got about it, is what's the most important thing to me right now in my life? Any idea? Time. It's the only thing 
that I really have to value. I mean, of course, I love Henry and all the rest, but time is more important than anything. And I've got some $2 piece of crap that I'm spending moments worrying about, do I want to keep it? Do I want to give it away? Where did I buy it? How did I like it? I will, when will I use it again? Taking up my time so that these thrift store things are robbing me. They are not bargains. Anyway, it's a pretty profound message for me. So while I'm on this roll, I walk into this thing, and they got this great clothing sale. <laughs> so, I don't know where the lady is, but she and I were walking into the same thing together, and she says, the room's over here. I said, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> and I went straight over and bought a skirt. And then at the next break, I bought a pair of pants. And I hope I'm done. Uh, but in a, minute, in a minute, you can be back into the stuff, you know? So, the stuff. So, oh, I'm trying to think. So I had, you know, like I say, I worried about what to tell you, and I had plans, left my notes in my purse with my Kleenex. So that's, oh, I just will tell you this. That, uh, and Larry W. down in L.A., told this story about an AA speaker who uh, the people came up to him after and said, oh, that was such a great speech. I really loved what you had to say. He says, well, it wasn't me. It was God. And the next person said, wow, you really spoke just to me. He said, well, it wasn't me speaking. It was God. And the third person came up and said, God, you really hit right at home. You really have good program. He says, well, it's not me. It's God. And the guy said, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> So, so be still and know that I am God. Judy, another hand for her wonderful story. Wasn't that great? Okay. Okay, so before we start our dancing, I would like to introduce to you my committee who has worked fearlessly hard to bring this convention to you tonight. So when I call your names, if you all could please uh, stand up, maybe come on up to the front and bring your committee with you. Mike Devine, my chair, my vice chair. Uh, Ms. is my registration chair. I don't see my be working. Rebecca, my hotel liaison. Michelle F., my silent auction. Cindy, my hospitality chair. And Sonia, her assistant. Colette, uh, the newcomer's chair, Lynn. Our PI person, and she's selling the 50-50 raffle tickets. Jalyn, my treasurer, who's really been working hard today. Uh, Marciana, the, the co-chair for the convention treasurer. Let's see, 
Jerry, our serenity patrol. He kept the faith. And Ren, Ren, please come up. Ren helped with the hotel liaison. Uh, Evelyn, I don't know if Evelyn is here. She's our literature person. And Mitch was our program chair. He made that wonderful program that's keeping you uh, lined up with the meetings that you're going to. Uh, Colleen is our t-shirt chair. And Leanne, she is our signs and decorations. And she left you that green gift and the little envelope. You can go home and plant some wildflowers. Jessica, our volunteer coordinator. Susan, our reason to convention secretary. Very thorough. Very detail-oriented. She heard everything at the meeting. She got it all down. Sarah, our boutique chair. Eileen G., our Friday night entertain entertainment chair with her committee. And Nancy S., she helped with the silent auction. Sharon was with the boutique. And Sue W. will help the treasurer. And Sue R. was with the fundraiser. This is my committee. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Okay. Okay. And so don't forget we're selling those 50-50 tickets tonight. If anybody wants to buy any, if you're going to collect your silent auction items, you can pay with credit card tonight. Tomorrow it will be cash only, cash or check. And um, I just want to thank you all for coming out, and please stay for the closing for tomorrow. Can we all stand up and recite the, uh, our promises, the OA promises? Okay. Good. so much. Our dance is going to start uh, in about 10 minutes at 9 p.m. The karaoke is going to start at 9 p.m. in the Synergy 5 room. And if you all want to go check out the uh, silent auction and put your bids in, the, the doors are open and our t-shirts are on sale tonight for $10 each. Make a nice nightgown or jogging outfit or exercise suit. Thank you so much. Thank you.